But it's essential to the continuation of democracy in America that yeah. we get a new kind of leader who is actually feeling the public service call rather than the call to power. Leaders mm -hmm. who recognize what life is really like, who have mm. lived and struggled and been one of the people because now you know what the people really need. welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a continuation of the candidate conversations leading up to the midterms, focusing on candidates who might not be getting as much press, but whose races need your attention and whose candidates themselves speak to a bigger picture in American politics. Today's podcast will be split between two amazing Democratic candidates for governor, Chris Jones in Arkansas and Nan Whaley in Ohio. Both candidates are running against vehemently anti-abortion opponents who will strip all rights from pregnant people across their state without exception. Both candidates are running to improve education and schools, starting with universal pre-K to help students start life on the right foot and continue that support through college. And both see their state's potential for growth and want to work to make their people, their industries, and their communities truly competitive in today's increasingly fractured world. We start with Chris Jones, Arkansas native, Son of a preacher and an educator, Chris attended Morehouse College on a NASA scholarship for physics and math, went on to study at MIT to become a nuclear engineer, and then earned a PhD in urban planning. After becoming an ordained minister, Chris returned home to Arkansas and led the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub, helping provide tools and technology to build businesses and create jobs. Chris is running for governor against Sarah Huckabee Sanders, daughter of previous Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. Sarah was the longest serving press secretary for the Trump administration and is one of the front runners for Trump's 2024 VP pick, which feels entirely on brand as she's clearly not running for governor to serve the people of Arkansas, but to help keep her star front and center in MAGA world. So Arkansas has the choice between a governor looking to look out for its people and a governor looking out for herself. So without further ado, please welcome my first guest, physicist, minister, nonprofit leader, and Democratic candidate for governor of Arkansas, Chris Jones. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. You're my pal. I've, we've been chatting know, since buddy. that first amazing ad you dropped, right? <laughs> oh, Introducing yourself and your candidacy to the voters of Arkansas and the people yeah. of America. Yeah. You know, as far as I'm concerned, and my, and you're my every- family. And my family. And your amazing family. That's right. And as far as I'm concerned, you are exactly the kind of American leader we should be highlighting, right? You are humble, you're real, you're prepared, and you have this life experience that can truly help your community. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Well, you know, in Arkansas means the world to me because I wouldn't be who I am if not for Arkansas and all that they gave me. So I'm excited. Yeah, well, here you are. I mean, you, Arkansas means the world to you. You're a boy that grew up with firsthand knowledge of what it's like to struggle, right? Your parents mm -hmm. worked their hearts out and always gave back to others, but there wasn't always enough to go around. So you ended up with scholarships that sent you to the very highest heights of academia, <laughs> right? But you still felt oh, yes. called to become a minister, to return home and invest back in your community, running the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub, which provided tools and technologies for the people of Arkansas who were trying to build businesses and create jobs but you're clearly deeply committed to your state and to the success of its people. So what made you want to run for office, but especially what made you want to run for office against one of Trump's biggest sycophants? Mm. That's, a tough, that's a tough gig, Chris. I, I know, I know, I know. So, so it's a, it's a two-parter, right? And, I, um, and the, the first part, the seed was planted when I was eight years old. My dad took me to the mall. I was from, I'm from a small town of Pine Bluff. We went to the mall in the big city of Little Rock and we were walking around 
and we bumped into none other than then Governor Bill Clinton. Right. And I was fascinated by him. Exactly. And what I found out afterwards, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what does he do? And my dad said, he's a governor. And I said, well, okay, I'm eight years old. What's a governor? And he said, in typical fashion, go look it up. <laughs> so, right, right. As all Gen Xers know, right? So uh-huh, we, uh-huh. we went home because we didn't have Google or cell phones to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I found out that a governor could solve problems, serve people, and actually make a difference in their lives. So at eight, I said, hey, I ha- my, I'm called to serve others. I think this would be a great way to do it. My life's journey took me all the way through, almost like a video game, picking up skills, friends, tools, loading up my backpack, also I can come to this level and really serve the state in the best way I know how. Now, the other part of your question, which is fascinating, is the why to run against Sarah Sanders. I did not jump in this race to run against Sarah Sanders. I had already made the decision that it was time to step up in this way and get into the re- the arena in this way um, before she a- officially announced. And so I've already been putting things in exactly. I've been putting things in place for like a year and a half, well before she announced. And it turns out though that that decision, which came through much prayer and much analysis, because I'm a man of faith and a man of math. So I did the math and I did the prayer, and it was time. And it turns out the moment couldn't have been more significant and important because because I didn't realize that not only was it a moment to try to move towards an amazing Arkansas, but it was in a moment to stop the madness that was coming. Stop the madness. That's a great way of looking at it, Chris. I mean, I watched Sarah. I think it's very fascinating that you chose to get into this race before she got into it. And because I look at what she's running on and, I, you know, I, when I when I do these conversations, obviously, I spend a lot of time looking up all your things, but I also look at your, you know, your competition and her whole thing is a new generation of leadership, which basically just means riding my dad's coattails into the same office, right? right. Like I, right. her entire bio on her website is Trump, that she's is his it? trusted confident, that she advised him on everything, that she's working closely with him, that she battled the media with him, that he's called her a very special person, right? Like uh, <laughs> Arkansas very, doesn't really make an appearance in her agenda. Mm-hmm. And she would mm-hmm. clearly dump Arkansas in a second if Trump asked her to be his running mate. So I mean, she's kind of just a mouthpiece for the Trump machine, and she has tons of money, but no ideas and no loyalty to anyone other than the mega machine. And so I look at people like you who are called to actual leadership, despite now being considered an underdog and fighting this uphill battle, but it's essential to the continuation of democracy in America that we get a new kind of leader who is actually feeling the public service call rather than the call to power. Leaders Mm -hmm. who recognize what life is really like, who have Mm -hmm. lived and struggled and been one of the people because now you know what the people really need. That's right. You know, it's, it's fascinating that you say that as well because the contrast couldn't be more clear. Yeah, it's stark. Um, Name, money, nepotism. And I'll tell you, the thing that I was always told to do was you work hard for what you get. And then you then use what you get to help somebody else. And so, you know, for me, it is it is all it's always been an uphill battle, even before she got in the race. I'm a black man who's a Democrat who's never run for office before. And I don't have a trust fund. So it was going to be hard regardless. And yet when you layer her on top of it, it makes it even more difficult, which actually gets me excited because I like big challenges. I worked at NASA. You don't put a man on the moon and a rover on bars without enjoying complex challenges. 
And so I'm like, hey, bring it on. And it turns out we've actually made that uphill climb a lot smoother than folks realized. Uh, we've closed the gap on the polling. We have the energy and the momentum on the ground. Our fundraising has ticked up. And we're barreling towards this last 30 days in a way that most folks didn't expect to happen. Well, I mean, it helps that you've gone to all 75 counties in Arkansas, right? That you have listened and learned and shared your vision for the state with everyone. I mean, your opponent Mm -hmm. didn't even show up for your debate, right? She avoided town halls. She avoids media. She avoids interviews and public appearances Mm -hmm. because she's running on the idea of Trump and being close to Trump, but she's not running to be the governor of Arkansas. You are, right? right and you're running right. with this vision for the state that you're calling the promise of Arkansas. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that, particularly PB&J? Oh, yeah. I love PB&J. I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, tell everyone what it is because we're well, all thinking sandwich. I know. And you should think sandwich. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. But, you know, one of the things was candidates make promises to folks. And more often than not, people are disappointed by the lack of fulfillment of those promises. In this case, I've been very thoughtful and mindful to say our agenda is the promise that Arkansas makes to its citizens. And I got there by listening. I went to all 75 counties. I've listened to folks multiple times, time and time again. And actually, I cannot, I wear this earpiece in my right ear, even though I can't hear out of my right ear. It's just in there for for looks, I guess. But I can't hear out of my right ear. <laughs> and so I've always, I've never been able to, and I've always had to lean into listening. That leaning into listening allowed me to be able to hear better than most. And the, it's the hearing of Arkansans that what le- that's what led to the promise of Arkansas. So the promise is not what Chris Jones promises to you. It's what we promise to each other. If and when we have an Arkansas where everyone is at the table and we're actually serving all our Kansans, this is what it looks like. That's what the promise of Arkansas is. And then part of that promise, though, is what I've heard, what I heard across the board. There are really four things, but uh, three of them are PB and J. And I'll tell you about the sandwich first. When I think about a PB and J sandwich, we talk about spreading PB and J across the state. In a bad sandwich, the peanut butter is clumped and the jelly's clumped. And you take a bite, and sometimes all you get is dry bread. Well, there are communities all across Arkansas that are taking bites out of opportunity, and they're getting dry bread, where teachers make less than minimum wage, where one in four kids go to bed hungry, where the the median income is $10,000 in the county, where the water systems are failing and they have boil notices all the time. Well, PB&J for us is preschool, broadband, and jobs. Preschool, broadband, and jobs. So imagine in Arkansas, where everyone had access to high-quality education, starting with pre-K. Everyone had access to real infrastructure, starting with broadband. And all throughout the state, there was significant economic development, starting with really high-paying, good-paying jobs. Education is obviously a big issue for you. I mean, you obviously have succeeded so much in your (laughs) life because of education. But it's also a huge issue across the country, right? We've clearly undervalued and, quite frankly, undermined education Mm. for so long. And it's now being politicized with things like the non-existent CRT and parents' choice and book burning, right? Right. Uh, It's the first promise you have on your campaign is for education. Well, when I was young, my grandfather had... So my grandfather had a third-grade education. Now, my family has been in Arkansas for over 200 years. So that, that we were there, we were in Arkansas before Arkansas was a state, before it was a territory. That's why I love Arkansas so much. And my grandfather, who had a third grade education, 
and he sacrificed everything so his sister could actually go to school and get a PhD. He and his seven brothers sacrificed. He told us in no uncertain terms, he told me, get an education because when you get it in your head, no one can take it out. And that message of the importance of education, the way it opens up doors of opportunity, stuck with me and my parents were the same way. And that's what was the fuel I needed to go on and get an education. So now, as I come back and I think about, I reflect on my own upbringing and being in high school. And there was a kid I sat next to in math class. He never turned in his homework. He always slept in class and he aced every single test. He was brilliant, but our educational system did not serve him. So it served me because my brain was wired in a way for the 20th century American education system. Now imagine if we created a 21st century education system that served everyone. That, that's what it's about. So it's about coming back and providing that opportunity because education is the doorway through which so much happens. Yeah, and it's about looking to the future. I mean, you're making promises to support technical and trade schools, including workforce training and scholarships to elevate community colleges in Arkansas. You are looking at all different types of education. It's not just one way to learn or one way to be a citizen in your state. It's about looking at new jobs for the future and new ways of looking at the world. I mean, sadly, Arkansas rates the lowest in the nation for a number of things and things that I think you'd like to address. Like, And again, things that your opponent isn't really that interested in. Things like you have the worst laws for renters in the nation. You have the highest and fastest growing rates of incarceration, right? Mm -hmm. You have Mm -hmm. the lowest voter registration and turnout in the country. And that last one probably has a lot to do with the fact that for years people were like, well, why would I bother to come out and vote in Arkansas? You know, government hasn't shown itself to help or care or listen to me. So why should I bother? And with someone like Sarah Sanders, it's going to be more of the same. Literally Mm -hmm. exactly governing like her father governed before her, right? Doing what's best for herself and her donors and looking, not looking out for the people of Arkansas. And then there's someone like you who's looking to govern in a totally new way. Yeah, totally. You know, in fact, it actually, I argue, and I don't argue, it's clear, it would be worse under her. You know, her father consolidated schools and the school. So in other words, if your school was had 300 students or fewer, then they closed it and merged it with a a surrounding school. Well, my dad's hometown right, was one of those schools that got closed. It, it led to the decimation of the town. Because when you leave, when you remove the school, there's nowhere to go on Friday nights. There's no kind of community place to be at. And it, 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 it opens the door for things like crime. Well, the other thing is she is talking about eliminating the income tax. The income tax in Arkansas represents 55% of our revenue. So if you get rid of the income tax, you have one of four things you can do. You can end up like Texas, and have property taxes through the roof. And as you said, we're the only state in the union that does, ha- does not have the warrant of habitability, which means you have, a, you have protections for minimal standards for renting. You eliminate, the, you increase property tax. The other thing you can do is be like Florida, which increases sales tax through the roof. Or you can be like Kansas. And Kansas el- eliminated their income tax and their educational system collapsed. Right. But the fourth option is you privatize everything. And she's not saying this, but every signal is she would privatize education, privatize the criminal justice system, pri- privatize our transportation system, privatize our healthcare system. And we know that not everything needs to be privatized. And no. we know the outcomes of where it leads to. So, I, so it would actually be worse than what her father did 
she would take where he stopped and and run it through the ringer. That's why you need to. We need people like you to show us that government can actually work. That we don't need yeah. to have things privatized, right? That we can have a government that looks out for the people and can be a force of good. I mean, it seems pretty obvious when you look at it that there should be a basic standard of safe living you know, in rental properties, but in Arkansas, there's not. It seems pretty obvious that the government should protect its citizens from, say, hazardous industries in their backyard, but right now they don't. You believe the government should be proactively looking out for its people. You see, I I, I was looking through your website, you see Arkansas farmers as the backbone of the state, and you want to make sure that they support sustainable agriculture to promote family farms and protect them moving forward. You want to make sure Arkansas has the right leadership in place when the money comes in for the federal infrastructure bill. So we don't Mm -hmm. end up with another Jackson, Mississippi on our hands where the money goes to who the governor wanted it to go to, not to the Mm -hmm. people that need it. And that's exactly right. And and we've seen indications on her side that that she wants to to funnel it to her small group of folks, right? But um, but there's a different way. And of course, there's a different we, way. We People haven't keep forgetting. seen it enough, but there's a different way. We can actually we can actually work in a united front, and we can actually live up to our ideals that all are created equal. We can actually live up to I'm an ordained minister, and and I believe in the second most important commandment in the Bible, and that's to love thy neighbor as thyself. Imagine if we truly loved each other. Imagine if we truly love, regardless of the difference in our skin color, the difference in our gender, the difference in our bank account, if we truly loved each other, we would see it in action. And if we did, then we would make sure that every child that goes to bed goes to bed on a full stomach. We make sure that everyone has an opportunity to succeed from an educational standpoint. We would make sure that no one is left out of the future. And so that's the Arkansas that I see, I believe in. And I think we can be an example. We're a small enough state where we can actually be, instead of being an incubator for bad policies, which is what she wants to do, we can be an incubator for good policies that move us towards that more perfect union. Ah, wouldn't that be great? People could see that happening, right? Yeah. I think looking around the country and watching governors like DeSantis and Abbott over Mm -hmm. the past couple of years, the American people have a far greater idea of what's important in the job of governor and how important the job of governor really is, how much power that person has to help or hurt people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can see that really clearly right now with reproductive freedom, right? Some states are just stripping people of their rights, and some states are trying to codify the right to bodily autonomy into their state constitutions. Now, your opponent is vehemently anti-choice. She believes Mm -hmm. in a national abortion ban. So where do you stand? And I say this because I say this knowing your life story, because we always say we don't want men to see the issue of bodily autonomy through the lens of women in their life. But this Mm -hmm. has to feel extremely personal to you as the father of three daughters and the husband of a doctor and a combat veteran. You know the power of women and to take it away from them feels probably very personal to you. Oh, deeply personal. You know, look, if my wife's life was in danger, that decision, that choice should not be left to some legislatures. If, if, if God forbid something happened to my 13-year-old daughter and she was raped, that decision should be left between our family, our God, and our physician, period. And, and we're headed down a very slippery slope because the next question is, what about contraception? And then the next question is, what about end of life decisions, right? So if, you, if you're making beginning of life decisions for, for women and families, what about end of life decisions? Do you get to make those as well? 
And so it's, it's very concerning as a father, as a husband, as a human, as someone who is walking this journey of life with others. It is super concerning and it's anti-freedom, which bothers me deeply. I trust folks to talk to their physicians, to pray, uh, and to make the decisions that are best for their lives. And I think we and have to And as the that. governor, you would support that. Oh, 100%. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting now, because as a preacher, you know, yeah. as a Christian who's the son of two preachers, mm-hmm. but also a scientist, you know, yeah. you must look at it from a different perspective. Well, you know, I, I, I certainly look at it from multiple perspectives. Sure. Uh, and, and the reality is that, you know, my faith doesn't make me not believe in the importance of that decision resting with women. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, we can have a whole conversation about where scripture lies on that. And I've had conversations with other ministers, other Christians about what, what actually the Bible says and doesn't say about and how we interpret that. But also, my, like, as you said, my science, my faith says that, look, you know, if, if you want to talk about it from a public health standpoint, trying to stop folks from being able to make a decision to have an abortion is not helpful from a public health standpoint. If you want to talk about it from an economic standpoint, taking resources like law enforcement and rediverting it into going into folks' homes. Now imagine Sarah Sanders and two state troopers showing up at your door in the middle of the night because they heard that your 19-year-old got pregnant and they want to and they want to make sure that you make the decision that they want you to make. Well, guess what? If she's showing up with them, they can't investigate the home break in. They can't investigate the homicide around around the corner. They can't investigate, you know, all sorts of things. To me, that's where we we mislead each other. Because at the, at the core, if it was really about what they're saying it's about, then she would have come out immediately against Herschel Walker. If it was really about that, she would have come out immediately against Herschel Walker, but it's silence. Because it's really about how can we consolidate power and control and make sure that we're we maintain that power and control. And I'm saying that the power and control should be in the hands of all our Kansans. It should be in the hands of the folks that are most impacted by decisions. Yeah, and if we believe in freedom, we believe in freedom for everyone in the society. Right. It's I- ironic that you're running against a woman who doesn't believe in female equality, reproductive freedom, or women's rights in society. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. But listen, that. going back to you as a preacher, like, <laughs> where, how do you square the circle of Christian nationalism that's taking over the country right now? You wrote an op-ed recently mm-hmm. in Newsweek called, We Can't Pray Away Christian Nationalism. We Have mm-hmm. to Vote It Out. Can you tell me yeah. about that? Yeah, you know, the scriptures say that faith without works is dead, right? So, you know, f- faith is about praying and, and believing. Uh, and, and it's clear that you also have to do the work. The work is of voting. And right now there's been an onslaught of Christian nationalism. And look, you don't square it. It's just wrong. And it's not that you reject the people because you can always, as long as there's breath in your body, you can always be redeemed and turn. I fundamentally believe that for everyone, no matter who you are. And your ideals and ideas some of them can and should be stopped immediately. Christian nationalism is one that should be stopped immediately because one, it is mi- misrepresenting the faith that I stand on as a Christian. When folks see the movement of Christian nationalism and how it divides and separates and pushes off to maintain power and control, and they project that onto Christianity writ large, 
um, it makes me look bad. So as a Christian myself, I have to speak up against it because it is not doing what the Bible tells us to do. Again, when they asked Jesus, what are the most important commandments out of everything? He didn't say to beat up trans kids. He could have said it, right? He could he could have said it. If if we believe that Jesus is all knowing, then he could have, he, he would have known it was an issue and he could have said it. He didn't he didn't say to to protest abortions and change Supreme Court laws. What he said was, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Which is probably why faith leaders have enthusiastically endorsed you yeah, <laughs> for governor, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right. Like you said, we can't pray away Christian nationalism. We have to vote it out. And they're saying, hey, if you're really someone who believes in this in this religion and this faith, then you have to support someone like you who believes in freedom as well. Because Christian nationals are out here proclaiming that the United States is a Christian nation, but this nation was founded mm-hmm. under the guarantee of inalienable rights for all people, regardless of religion or lack of religion. And, and that, that's what I love about our country. I know, me too. We have the freedom. I have the freedom to be a Christian. Someone else has the freedom to be an atheist. And we can sit at the table together. In fact, just yesterday, this last night, I was at an event and I, I spoke and answered questions. Afterwards, a Jewish atheist came up to me and was like, thank you. Because one of the things I said was, you can stand on your faith and live out your values in politics without turning the state into a church. You can do it. And our founders knew that. And that's why they created at, at, at the very start, we will have religious freedom. First the Amendment, freedom. baby, first line. Like, hey, and it wasn't happenstance. So to me, that is so significant and important that I have, I have the freedom to be a Christian in this country. And you have a freedom to be anti-Christian, atheist, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim. And the beauty of it is that in the space of politics, we can come together around one table and create solutions that actually help everyone. Now, listen, you're the underdog in this race. We know you're running against a well-financed machine, but why do you think you can win and what can we do to help you? Yeah, well, because I know Arkansans. And I've always said this, if you you look Arkansans in the eye, and give them a chance, they'll give you a chance. You know, I, we talked about what, what people care about, and I've traveled to all 75 counties, and re- recently I've been doing a walk a mile in, so I did a walk a mile in your shoes. I'm walking a mile in every county with Arkansas. We've had as many as 150 to 170 people walk with us, a mile in the heat, which is fascinating. And so I've always said that when you give Arkansas a chance, they'll give you a chance. And I've been to places where folks that look like me the narrative is, don't show up there. And I go there and people come out because at the end of the day, and when you put, a, put aside everything else, whether they use it in their words or they, or they express it in their actions, people want community again. People are sick and tired of chaos and they want to choose community over chaos, but they have to know that they have a choice. So by showing up and engaging with folks and giving them a choice, I feel really good about this race. We have a coalition in Arkansas that has never before existed in our state of wealthy, black, older black folks, poor, young white folks, um, trade school. We, I did a ride along with sanitation workers where I walked in the landfill. And I'm telling you, all of them were excited. And then that night, I was in somebody's mansion doing a fundraiser and all of them were excited. So it's a very diverse coalition that has come together in this moment and said, we are going to choose something different. 
we are we have the plurality of independents in our state in the latest poll. That should not happen for a first-time candidate who's a Democrat in a quote-unquote red state. But we have a plan and a pathway because I did the math and I know exactly where folk voters are and we're going after those voters. So now to get to your question of what can you do, we have one job between now and election day and that's get people out to vote. How do we do that? There's air game and ground game. I need help with the air game. So I need money and resources to get on TV and get on radio. And I have some good ads that are ready to go. And then I need help with the ground game. And there's money for the ground game, but there's also showing up. So I tell people, if you know any Arkansans, I want you to call your friends, your family, your enemies, and your exes. Call all of them. Call, take, take a pause and say, hey, we're going to take a break from this right now, and we're going to make sure we go and vote for Chris Jones for governor. Because in this moment, we need it more than anything else. And so wherever you are across the country, you can invest in the campaign and do what I call be a part of the vortex. And I'll tell you the quick story of the bumblebee. The bumblebee has a really big body and really small wings. And the story of the bumblebee is the story of doing the impossible. And scientists used to say a long time ago that the bumblebee, after they ran the calculations, it was aerodynamically impossible for the bumblebee to fly. But the bumblebee flies anyway because it ignored the experts, because it ignored the folks that said they couldn't do it. And we're like the bumblebee. We ignored the people who said, you have no money, you have no name recognition, you're a black man. And we won our primary with 72% with of the vote in a five-way primary. Now, I became the first African-American nominee for governor in the history of Arkansas. So underdog status, I love it. It's great. It's wonderful because it also allows us to come in. Now, the, if you fast forward the story of the bumblebee, it turns out the bumblebee knew something that the experts didn't know. When they looked at it again decades later, they found that when the bumblebee flaps its wings, and I equate that to working hard, when it shows up everywhere, when it talks to everyone, when it brings in people and engages them, folks in- When it very, does the work. When it does the work, a vortex is created underneath its wings and the vortex gives it lift. So I'm asking you all to become that vortex, to give us the lift we need to get over this finish line, to stop the madness and the chaos of Sarah Sanders and to move Arkansas forward so that we can realize the promise of Arkansas for all our Kansans and become a model for other states around the country. Oh, Chris, I love that. I love this bumblebee thing. I love it all. Thank you so much for joining me today. My hope is that this vortex that you're creating gets people out to the polls. It gets people talking about you. It gets people listening today to send money to get those ads because, God, you make good ads, my friend. Um, (laughs) Thank you, buddy. You are a new type of leader for the Democratic Party. You're saying, I'm not going to say that this red state is a write-off. I'm not going to say that I'm Mm -hmm. running against, you know, I'm the underdog and so I can't never win. You are a new kind of candidate who's saying I can do this even though you say I can't and you just are also a straight up all around good guy and so I'm so glad that you are running for office I'm so glad we have more real people who have lived life and have an actual calling you're prepared Mm -hmm. to lead my friend and we're going to support you all the way to the ballot box thanks for doing it together and that you want you to know I love you and I appreciate you thank you the feeling is entirely mutual so that was Chris Jones Democratic candidate for governor of Arkansas reminding us to be the vortex. Even the reddest of red states aren't really red when you start talking to the people. That everyone from the sanitation workers to the mansion dwellers can be excited by the idea of a leader who sees the potential of their state and is willing to put in the work to lift it up. Now we're gonna take a quick break to give some love to the sponsors who supported this show. And we'll be right back after this with Nan Whaley, Democratic candidate for governor of Ohio. Go Buckeyes. 
We're talking a lot today about looking at things differently, not doing what we've always done, which is why it's appropriate that today's pod is brought to you by Aspiration Debit Card. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to big banks. When you keep your money in most standard bank accounts, they're lending your deposits out to fund oil and coal. If you switch to Aspiration, you are switching to the planet side. Moving $1,000 into an Aspiration Plus account has the same impact as driving 6,000 miles less. Plus, you can earn up to 71 times as much interest than your old bank. Aspiration is fossil fuel free and lets you plant a tree by rounding up on every swipe of your debit card. Aspiration's goal is to help people align their money with their values. Funding the planting of over 1 million trees with the goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030. It's no wonder that Forbes, Nerd Wallet, and The Penny Hoarder recommend Aspiration for the eco-conscious. I think it's a wonderful idea. Best of all, there's no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair, even if that's nothing, because they believe that money shouldn't stand in the way of doing the right thing. So make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit and move your money out of fossil fuels. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit today. That's aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit. Terms and conditions apply. You guys know I can't do an episode without talking about Athletic Greens. If you've heard me talk about this product from week to week and haven't had a chance to try it yet, I really recommend you do. I'm very careful with who I take on as sponsors, but Athletic Greens not only supports independent journalism and democracy, they're an absolutely quality product that has made everyone in my life, from my husband to my friends to my father, feel better. Trying Athletic Greens not only supports the show, it supports your health and how you feel as you move through the world. Athletic Greens is a once a day micro habit. Just one scoop in a cup of water on an empty stomach gives you better sleep quality, mental clarity, and alertness. It supports your gut health, your immune system, your nervous system, your energy, recovery, focus. It's recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts. Most people take some kind of multivitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body can actually absorb. There's no point in taking one every day that just moves through your system without your body getting anything out of it. You want it to actually help you. And if helping yourself isn't enough, know that Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company, that they purchase carbon credits to support projects protecting old growth rainforests. And for every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations like No Kid Hungry to get nutritious food to children in need. So even if you aren't completely sold on improving yourself, know that investing in your health invests in the world's health too. So reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we head into cold and flu season. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutrition. And we're back. Today is a day of governors, so our next guest is Nan Whaley, the Democratic candidate for governor of Ohio. Ohio has been in the news a lot lately with shootings and pregnant 10-year-olds and Tim Ryan's recent shellacking of corporate puppet J.D. Vance at the recent debate, but you may not have heard of Nan Whaley, and I thought it was time that you did. Nan has been the mayor of Dayton, Ohio for the past eight years, and before that, she was city commissioner. During her time as mayor, she faced a horrific mass shooting, the opioid epidemic, multiple tornadoes, a broken economy, insane political corruption at the state level, and the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And through it all, her city came out on top. Nan is the first woman to ever be nominated by a major party for the governorship in Ohio, and she is running because she believes it's time for change. Ohio is at a crossroad, with corruption running rampant and politicians too focused on their own wallets to care about the future of the state. Nan believes Ohio needs a governor who's tough enough to stand up for what's right, and her track record says she's just the person to do it. So without further ado, please welcome my second guest, former city commissioner and mayor of Dayton, Ohio, now Democratic nominee for governor of Ohio, Nan Whaley. Welcome, Nan. It's so great to be on. Thank you so much for all you do to share what's happening all across the country. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, we hear so much about the big races across the country, but I wanted to make sure that we were highlighting some of the less publicized races that are just as important and quite frankly, just as competitive if they get the right amount of attention. Thank you. It's important. I mean, these governor races, particularly uh, as a former local leader and someone that's really passionate about state and local government, it's really the place that affects people's lives in a very, very direct way. And you can see it on, you know, particularly women right now, if they live in New York or if they live in Ohio and what that means to them. You know, I think we can also see, I think people have been paying attention to governors for a long time now. We can see what happens when a governor is in charge of a state and has an idea of how that state needs to run. And we need to make sure that we put people in governor's mansions who have the same values we do. That's exactly right. And what we're seeing in Ohio is that we have a governor that is too weak to stand up to the extremists and radicals in some cases and completely out of step with Ohioans, which is a pretty common sense state, frankly, uh, over and over again, particularly on the issue of abortion access. Yeah, well, I mean, like many amazing candidates we have spoken to on this show leading up to these midterms, you're one of those people that truly understands the people that you want to serve. Because unlike your opponent, you're not a millionaire. You grew up in a small town in Indiana. Your dad was an auto worker and your mom worked at a laundromat behind your house to make ends meet. You attended the University of Dayton where you met your husband and you became the first person in your family to graduate from college. But you didn't just fall in love with at university, you fell in love with Ohio and you settled there and you eventually ran for city commission and then for mayor. So you not only have this background in politics and the qualifications to do the job, but you're doing it for the right reasons because you really believe in the people of Ohio and serving them. That's right. Look, I loved being mayor of Dayton, getting the opportunity to serve your community as a mayor. Mayor is one of the jobs where you get to be visionary about where your community is going. But at the same time, you have to fill the potholes and plow the snow or they will kick your tail out of office. Right. And so there's not a lot of jobs like that. Uh, and the decision for me to run for governor was actually a difficult one because, you know, as president of the United States Conference of Mayors, loved working with mayors. That's the place where you can really do something to get stuff done. But what I saw across our state was local leaders, frankly, both Democrats and Republicans, doing their level best to move their communities forward. And they didn't have a partner in the governor's office or the state house. And so constantly you take two steps forward and get hit by the state and have one step back for your community. And I told other mayors, like, look, I, they were like, well, this is going to be so hard. This is Ohio. You're a Democrat. You're a woman. And I said, look, we can continue uh, to manage this decline that is coming from our state, or we can go run, take the governor's seat so we actually have a partner in the state house to make all of our communities grow. And so that's really why I decided to run. For people who don't know and aren't following Ohio politics, Ohio is really at a crossroads, right? The Republicans have been in control of the state government for decades, and they found themselves embroiled in scandal after scandal, right? And then more often than not, it's the same politicians and lobbyists and GOP consultants who are involved, but never right. face repercussions. So 
I, reading your stuff, it seems like you're running for governor because you believe the state is fundamentally broken and the people of Ohio deserve better. That's exactly right. Like we see over and over again in our state house, it has been named the most corrupt in the country by the FBI. And believe me, that takes some work, frankly. Uh, and the latest is uh, this uh, billion dollar bailout for a, a fossil fuel company that gave $61 million in bribes. They completely bankrolled the governor's last campaign. And in return, he gave them everything they wanted, including this bailout, and had their top lobbyists be the head utility rec- regulator for the state. Uh, when the company settled with the federal government on like the largest scandal settlement in the country ever, they admitted that they bribed that guy with $4 million. So we're seeing that sort of just complete disrespect and disregard from the law at the state house and with the governor. The governor has been named a state official one in this in this uh, issue, as well as his lieutenant governor being state official two in these documents. And frankly, they don't think anybody cares. While we're paying for this every single month on our electric bill, it has still not been fully repealed. And right now we're bailing out an energy plant in Indiana, if that makes any sense as Ohio as Ohio taxpayers. That makes zero sense. I mean, mm-hmm. the formula basically stays the same. Republican right. elected officials enrich themselves and their allies, and right. then the people of that state pay the bill. So not only does so not only does that undermine the public's confidence in government in general, right? That makes people be like, uh, all politicians are the same and everyone's awful, right? But it undermines the idea of government to be a force for good at all. Right. Because people just don't trust it, right? And then the Ohioans' money is being misappropriated and misdirected. And you need to put someone into power that's going to do that completely differently. And I think the only answer would be a complete overhaul. I completely agree. Look, I'm the first female nominee ever to run for governor in the history of Ohio. Uh, you know, I my lieutenant governor candidate is Cheryl Stevens. She's the former mayor of Cleveland Heights. Uh, and a Cuyahoga County Council member up in the Cleveland area. I always like to say what's better than one former female mayor, but two. And right, and we're trying really hard to make sure uh, that we have a complete and total over the state, over the state house. We deserve better. We deserve a governor and a lieutenant governor that actually comes from the working class and cares about working class issues that can't be part of this illegitimate state house that we have right now and is more interested in what the special interests and the state legislators think rather than what working people think and everyday Ohioans that are uh, completely disagreeing with the way they're being governed right now. And the problem is you're running against a Republican incumbent, right? I mean, Governor well, Mike just, DeWine. Not just any. I mean, he's been in office since I was 10 months old. I am 46. Exactly. Like he's been in Ohio government. Yeah. If people do not know, Mike DeWine has been in Ohio government for 46 years. Okay. Right. 46 years in all different varying forms. And generally he seems like kind of a reasonable guy, right? Like you're like, oh, he seems kind of reasonable. But what he's been doing is looking the other way for years while Ohio has become one of the worst states in the country for public corruption, one of the worst states in the country for falling infrastructure, for problems with new businesses, all these things where over 30 years, the the state has kind of gone downhill where it used to be a shining leader. Now it's gone downhill. So if you've been in government for 46 years and things have gone down on your watch, we have to sort of look at the system and the person that is in charge of that. With democracy itself on the line right now, all over the country, one of the things that stood out for me, not just this terrible racketeering scheme and bribery scheme that happened in your state, but 
What stood out to me was that there was a significant majority of people in Ohio who voted for two constitutional amendments to oppose partisan gerrymandering. And the Republicans, including Governor Mike DeWine, ignored what the voters had voted for and chose instead to unconstitutionally redistrict Ohio to benefit themselves. And that kind of stuff is gross to me because it's not that you're winning. It's making it impossible for your opponent to win. Right. They're picking the voters, are pick, the politicians are picking their voters rather than voters picking their politicians. And look, this is like classic DeWine. You know, in 2018, this, the, the ballot initiative passes by 73%. Mike DeWine says, I'm going to do everything to p- create fair districts. When the rubber meets the road, he does exactly what the extremists and radicals want. This is a state that is a pretty even state. Uh, when our congressionals run across the state of Ohio, about 52% of them vote Republican and 48% of them vote Democrat. And what we see, though, because of the gerrymandered redistricting that Mike DeWine supports, we have four Democratic congressmen and 12 Republican congressmen. And the entire time, not one of them has flipped because the races are so decided by the drawing of the lines that voters don't even have a choice on who their Congress is. The people of Ohio have overwhelmingly said that they want something that is about the voters rather than the politicians. But not surprising, you know, a guy that's been in office and has benefited from this system for 46 years is not going to change that system. And that's what we've seen with him. And example after example, from redistricting to gun safety, this is Mike DeWine's MO. He does what he says, what is ever politically convenient at the time. But when everything in the is and nobody's watching, he goes and like completely does what the radicals and extremists want him to do. For people that don't know, the day after the mass shooting in 2019 in Ohio, Mike DeWine stood beside you as mayor of Dayton, Ohio, and promised everyone that he would sign decisive gun control uh, in Ohio. And then he immediately turned around and abandoned the whole thing when the Republican Party didn't want it. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, you now have stand your ground laws. You have teachers who are armed in schools. You have, he just signed a permitless carry in June, despite mm-hmm. police and teachers and gun safety advocates all opposing the law. Right. And you just had a shooting at a high school during a football game with all the children running, screaming from the field. Right. We've had three shootings in football oh. games this season. Uh, so in three of the different regions, one in Columbus, one in Cleveland, and the latest one in Toledo. Toledo. So even in Ohio, Friday night lights are not safe. And and that is what we're seeing from Mike DeWine, his inaction. And then going and doing something to make the issue worse has made our communities less safe. We are having to deal with it on the ground. Local communities have to deal with it on the ground because he is too afraid to stand up to the extremists and radicals rather than do the right thing protect children and protect families from really extreme gun laws here in this state. He's too afraid to even meet you for a debate. I mean, it could be that this kind of corrupt behavior might explain why he won't, like a lot of Republican candidates, agree to debate you. You know, he's been in government in Ohio for almost half a century, and he should be jumping up on that stage, right? He should be bragging about his accomplishments and his record and how he's going to continue to help Ohio. But he's not because he's got nothing to stand on. Right. Right. I mean, staying out of the public eye is clearly a strategy. Right. So watching Tim Ryan recently sweep the floor with J.D. Vance in the Senate debate, Governor DeWine clearly wants to continue fundraising on his name recognition, but not actually get into any conversations about what he's done in office or what he plans to do when he's elected again. He thinks if he can just kind of run out the clock, things are going to fall in his favor. And I think it's very important that we talk about the issues because 
if we're talking about the issues, then it's possible that that is that won't happen. That's exactly right, Lee. What we see is a, a, a sitting governor refusing to debate because he doesn't want to answer to the fact that a 10-year-old was raped in our state, had to go across state lines to terminate the pregnancy, and frankly, he would prefer that 10-year-old to carry that pregnancy to term. So he doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't want to talk about how he is state official one in the largest bribery scandal in Ohio's history. And he doesn't want to have to answer on how he's made our communities less safe when it comes to gun safety. And so, you know, politically speaking, that is why he doesn't want to debate. But when we're people that care about democracy and you're a sitting governor, you have a responsibility to the voters to stand for election and explain why you deserve four more years. And that is a debate. Now, you know, look, uh, he continues to hide not only from debates now, but even the press hasn't done press gaggles, has not even agreed to interviews now with press because he doesn't want to answer any questions for the end of this election. It is galling. It is disrespectful to the voters. And frankly, we deserve a lot better uh, in a leader in Ohio governor than we do with we have with Mike DeWine. Yeah, I mean, Ohio's USA Today editorial board recently noted that in this time with society becoming so increasingly closed off in our echo chambers, we need more conversations across political ideologies. We need to hear more from our leaders and we need more thoughtful debate, not less. We need to hear what our leaders have to say. You know, if you can't stand in front of your state and defend yourself and defend your record, then maybe you shouldn't be doing the job. Exactly. And look, this is an anti-democratic act, right? So people that, you know, regardless of party, if you don't stand for debate, it's an anti-democracy move. And right now, as we know, democracy is on a threadbare. And so choosing not to debate your opponent uh, is is a sign that you don't respect and don't want to protect something that has been so key and crucial to our self-governance. You know, I had a primary. I ended up winning the primary by 30 points. I still debated. Right. So that's what this is about. It's about democracy. And instead of just being callous because you don't want to answer to the voters, shows that you don't respect this process. And that is a very big concern for us in Ohio. I agree with that. And now, considering you're technically considered the underdog in this race, obviously public debate serves you. And as the first woman to ever be nominated by a major party in Ohio for governor, just seeing you on that debate stage would be great for representation. Mm -hmm. But Unlike your opponent, you want to debate because you can run on your record and your plans for this state. So can you and I just talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, Lee. Yeah, I'd love that. Okay. I would love to start with what to me is the most pressing issue on everyone's mind, which is a woman's right to make her own health care decisions. When you were mayor um, and Ohio made a medically unnecessary transfer agreement, which threatened to close the Dayton Women's Medical Center, you didn't have the personal power to fix it on your own. So you worked with community members and doctors and lawyers to set up a variance agreement so that abortion services could resume in your city. You, you worked outside of the box to serve the women in your city. So Republicans in the state, at the state level, have made it very clear that they would completely ban abortion in your state, which is why Ohio needs you, a pro-choice Democratic governor, to look out for its citizens, because the governor can be the very last line of defense to protect abortion rights in the state. And you have been incredibly clear that you never have and you never will waver in your commitment to choice. Exactly. This is a core tenet. It's a freedom issue for women. You know, for the first time in my life, a right was taken away 
from half the population by the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a tough, devastating day. If you were in Ohio that day, though, as a woman, it was terrifying. Seven hours after, just seven hours after Roe fell, uh, the governor moved forward the six-week abortion ban. And we have already seen what that means to our state. You know, women and girls not having to, having to go across state lines to receive care that they need. And frankly, it's made national news every week. There's a story nationally that begins with an Ohio woman or an Ohio girl over and over again. And they're heartbreaking stories. Now, we were very lucky for the courts this past Friday. They put an injunction on the six-week ban. It just makes the stakes on this race even higher. Uh, Mike DeWine has said he wants to go as far as possible. And Lee, before in the primary, he had in his um, on his website that he was the most pro-life governor in the country. And not surprisingly, he has taken that down after the primary. Yeah, well, they're all they're all scrubbing their sites to pretend they aren't who they are. Exactly. But I mean, I think women are smart enough to see through that. Absolutely. And people know what's at stake in this race. We are seeing record number of uh, women registering to vote to men, second only to the state of Kansas is Ohio. Uh, We're seeing enormous early vote requests coming out of the state. Uh, mostly women again. And we're, we're counting on w- women and the men that support them to make the difference in this race. We know yeah. that if he is reelected, it will go uh, even further. There is a bill in the state house right now that bans abortion at conception, bans birth control like IUD, and bans in vitro fertilization. We have already criminalized abortion in the state, but we are going to the levels that I don't think any state has seen to date. And it is terrifying for Ohio women. And I want to be clear, if you're not from Ohio, you know, Ohio is a pro-choice state. We're a common sense state. 82% of the state believes there should be some sort of access to abortion. Yeah. I have to tell you, I I just, obviously to me, that is the thing I would be voting on if I was in Ohio. But looking at your record, I mean, I, I can't believe how successful you were as mayor of Dayton. Like the amount of things you got done that really represent what Democrats are supposed to stand for, but that you actually fought for and that you would expand on as governor. And I just, I don't normally do this, but I'd love to go through just a couple of your things because it struck me how you had done one thing and you can expand that to the state level. And I want people to understand that. So when you came in to uh, mayor in Dayton, it was 2013. And Dayton mm-hmm. was doing very poorly at that moment. Like a lot of factories had moved out, opioids had moved in, right? You were like the counter like the point for opioid addiction mm-hmm. in the country um education was terrible in the in this in the city reproductive care was under constant attack but Dayton kind of turned a corner under your leadership you know you led the fight to take on the education system immediately to provide quality pre-k to every three and four year old in your city you didn't control the local school district so you brought together again like you did with reproductive care businesses and community members and education leaders to get the votes you needed to get the voters to approve a plan to fund universal high quality preschool right and that program was so successful that last summer it was expanded to include all three-year-olds and four-year-olds in neighboring suburbs. And so in the very few years since you implemented that, you've already seen significant improvements in students' results. And so as governor, you want to keep that same focus because the governor actually has the power to impact local schools, which is something your opponent never bothered to use. And so you want to go in there and strengthen K-12 through schools and support strategies to better retain teachers because we're seeing teachers leave all over the country. And 
include their, including like protecting their pensions and stopping any further attempts to privatize the school districts and getting guns out of schools. These are things that can really help. And you've already showed you can do it on a small level, even when you didn't have the power to do it by yourself. But as governor, you would. And I'm just going to kind of keep going because you're, you're so amazing. You, you fought to protect the region's drinking water from polluters when you were mayor, but as governor, you you want to make sure it kind of goes and expands so it's clean drinking water for the state, clean air, clean jobs, investing in that. You banned conversion therapy for LGBTQ people in your city when because you had the power to do that. And you were the first person to officiate a same-sex marriage immediately after the Obergefell ruling, which to me tells so much about your personality and what you you believe in because Ohio still doesn't have a law that that allows for people not to discriminate against LGBTQIA plus people there doesn't exist so as governor you said you would finally pass the fairness act which means that people in the LGBTQIA community can't be discriminated against and that is humongous people don't realize that that's not that doesn't exist in Ohio I I find the things that you have done so impressive because it's all the things people talk about, but they don't actually get accomplished. You know, you, you get them accomplished and we're giving you the option to do it on a much larger scale. And I think people need to really realize that it's not just about our human rights. And I hope they vote for you just because you'll protect their human rights, but also you are, have the ability to turn your state around. Right. I mean, what we've seen, Lee, these past four decades with Mike DeWine is that Ohio's on the top of bad lists and the bottom of good ones. You know, we lead the country in things like corruption, infant mortality, maternal mortality, uh, opioid overdose, and we're in the bottom five of economic growth, right? And what I'm saying is we have to have a complete and total overhaul. We have to start investing in all of the state, uh, even the smaller communities that are forgotten and ignored, much like Dayton. And when we have a real partnership in the governor's office, we can do things like have high quality preschool all across the state of Ohio, make sure that our teachers are supported by their state government rather than attacked by them, make sure that all children, regardless of what community they live in, have a quality education. And, you know, I think that is what's so exciting about the opportunity we have this November is we are at a crossroads in this state and we can continue to say we're going to manage the decline with Mike DeWine or we can find a new way forward where we are inclusive, we protect freedom and we really invest in growth. And that's what this race is all about. And I think it's pretty obvious what you can do for your state, but you've been quoted saying you can build a better Ohio. And I think it sometimes talks about how Ohio was the American success story of the 20th century and how over the past 30 years, it's kind of fallen further and further behind. But you see it as potential to be the success story of the 21st century. Ohio used to make every single thing that anybody used in this country and in the world. And now today we uh, are good at exporting our college graduates. And we want to make sure we're reinvesting and the reassuring initiatives that are coming federally, that they come back and they are coming into Ohio. And look, this is going to be a different kind of job, right? These aren't the jobs. We don't want to recreate the past. We want to build a new future, a future that is inclusive, a future that includes women making their own decision, but also includes uh, choices for our young people. So the answer to Ohio isn't if you want to stay in Ohio as a young person, you have to move to Columbus. And that is the only way forward that you'll have choices in Cleveland and Cincinnati and Toledo and in Marietta. Right. That's what this is about. And we know like investing in renewable energy, making sure we build the solar panels and wind turbines in Ohio because we have the best workers in the world. 
That is how we can invest and grow our state. And we're committed to that. Uh, this is work that we've been doing. Like I said, I've been doing in Dayton for, for my time here. And, you know, I always tell folks that, you know, if you can do it in Dayton, you can do it across the entire state, but we're going to have to have a complete and total overhaul to get this done. And frankly, I think it's going to take a working class woman from Dayton to get that job done. I agree with that. I mean, I think ultimately red state voters need to ask themselves, when is enough enough? You know, who cares if you've always voted Republican? Do you want to have your vote ignored? Do you want to have your human rights be stripped from you? Do you want self-dealing politicians who are bought and paid for and scratching each other's back? And do you want your children running screaming from active shooters at football games or carrying their rapist babies to term? Or do you want freaking new leadership? And who cares what the letter is beside their name? Amen. I want to thank you for joining me today, Nan. Honestly, I love women like you. I love unapologetic, reliable, confident women who know what they can do and will follow through on it. And it seems like you would have absolutely no problem standing up to extremist politicians so that you could represent the community and the people of it. Absolutely. It's what I specialize in. So I look forward to doing it at the State House. Perfect. I look forward to seeing you. And everybody, what can we do to help you as we move forward? What, can, what do you need from us? Well, look, go to nanwhaley.com. You know, you can, even if you're nationally engaged, you can volunteer and do phone banks. If you have a couple extra dollars, we're a grassroots campaign. That makes a difference. And you probably know somebody in Ohio. So tell your friends in Ohio, we are uh, very well connected across the country that you heard this podcast, share it with them and share that they can have a new way forward in this state. Wonderful. I think your opponent thinks he can just coast a re-election on his name. We have to make him fight you on the issues. Absolutely. Here we go. So that was Nan Whaley, running for governor of Ohio to stop corruption and stand up for the rights of people, not the whims of the powerful. I keep saying this, but these are the kind of leaders we need. These are the real public servants and devoted candidates truly looking out for both democracy and its citizens. Whether it's Chris or Nan, over and over again, it seems like Democrats are the only ones who actually want to govern, to protect the people and to improve their communities who choose policy over fear-mongering, plans over talking points, and citizens over donors. These are the candidates who want power for what it can do for others, not what it can do for themselves. And we have to help them win in every way possible. You don't have to live in Arkansas or Ohio to know that a governor who believes in democracy and human rights is what's best for everyone. So reach out, give, or do what you can. We can't leave anything on the table. November 8th decides which path our country takes, and we have to fight like hell to make sure it goes the right way. I want to thank Chris Jones and Nan Whaley for joining me today, and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now tell your people about these people so we can get them flippin' elected. Until next week, PGF. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.